Yeah, 29 minutes it is before 9 p.m. It's our Thought Leader Thursday segment. And tonight I'm joined in studio by Sipiwa Maala. And uh, he is uh, a senior lecturer in the Department of English uh, at the University of Johannesburg and Research Fellow. And uh, 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 Dr. Sipiwa Maala is a short story writer, novelist, a playwright and a literary critic. And uh, my guest this evening and uh, yeah... Dr. Mahala, and that's what we're doctor now because, I mean, I'm about to be a doctor. So I don't know. Well, if you're my student, you can call me Dr. Mahala. Okay, but okay. But you up as an author. Put <laughs> Yeah, man. Thank you so much for taking time out to join us. I do understand you had a, a launch tonight and you dashed from that in Melville yes, or a discussion. Yes, I'm, I'm yeah. from the launch. Um, mm. And thank you for allowing me to come to the studio because when I got the invitation, I insisted that I want to be here because ah, I've, awesome. I've, I've always been following your work. Thank you, man. I'm a great Thank fan you. of your work. You, Thank you, you make very much. economics understandable even to me. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I mean, that means a lot because uh, I've been following a lot of your work and even, uh, you know, your plays. Um, and I must say, the first time I saw this book was, I think I, I was at Wits. Um, and, uh, you know, they have that shop there, University Press or whatever. And I said, you know, I've read a lot of short stories, Gaken Temba. And I must say, I mean, for me, one of the most fascinating ones, I can't recall the name of the the, the short story itself, but it's the one where, you know, he's working with his friend and whatever, and they get to the place and their drinking spot is no longer there. And the ability of Ken Temba, who you've written about here in your book, The Making and the Breaking of the Intellectual Tzotzi, who in many ways was a, a man of his times. Uh, talk to me about how this project came about and more importantly, why you felt it important to translate your PhD work into this book. Yeah, thank you. Well, the, the story that you, you, you're talking about is Requiem for Sofia Town. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, as you know, Sofia Town was demolished from uh, uh, 1955. Mm. But uh, my relationship with Ken Temba um, basically starts in 2002. Um, so this year marks 20 years uh, in the sense that uh, I was a student at Vets and mm. I, I wrote a story called The Suit Continued. And the suit is one of his stories. Yes, yeah. where I was sort of responding to him. And then since I did that, mm. I, you know, there's been so much comparison between my work and Kentema's work. Mm. And, you know, when that happened, I, I felt obliged to, to know a bit more about him. Sure. And he was somewhat of an enigma because much as we have been reading Kentemba's stories, but we never got to understand who this man was. Mm. And, and if he was that brilliant, because a story like The Suit, for instance, yeah. uh, is one of the most resistant stories uh, that I've ever come across. Uh, it's, it's been adapted to comics, uh, mm. a film, uh, uh, staring. Uh, it's probably in every South African classroom. As a play, it has traveled over 30 countries. Mm. In fact, next week, um, it will be on stage, um, a, a new version called The Suit Constantized. You know, mm. so now you ask yourself that this story was written uh, in 1963, which makes it 59 years today. Wow. You know, so what made this man uh, to have such capabilities? So that's when I started investigating, you know, going back to where he schooled, mm. uh, you know, tracing his background from uh, uh, when he attended school in, 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 in Sisekho, mm. Kaiso Secondary School getting um, a, a scholarship to go to Fort Hare, mm. 
Uh, and also, when looking at him, I look uh, also at you know some of his peers, sure. including the likes of uh, Robert Sobukwe, whom mm. he studied with at Forte. Tato Mutana. Uh, That's right. I was mentioning actually earlier when we were doing the, the launch, there's a picture, Nzumo Kethe. Yep. who at some stage was president of Lesotho, right? Yep, that's right. Um, mm. uh, in fact, an, another president, um, uh, you can mention uh, one, Gabriel Robert Mugabe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were students together. And another one in Uganda, right? You, uh, <laughs> Yusuf Lule. Yeah, Lule, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lule was at Forte. I'm not sure if Probably they were earlier, there at the yeah, same yeah. time, though. Sure, sure. Yeah. sure. Yeah. Fascinating account, though. And I must say, I mean, for me, I was t- saying to you just off air that, you know, I was... Um, sort of hopping from one section to the next. So I hopped from the Forte section to his exile in Swaziland. But talk to me about the moment where he receives a short story prize from Drum. Mm. And he receives it from Mr. Drum. And Mr. Drum is Henry Ngumalo. Um, That is a milestone in his own literary and scholastic work. Um, I mean, having looked at his entire life story, how important was that moment? Yeah, that was his major breakthrough. Um, Mm. And... Uh, until you know uh, we wrote this book um that was highlighted as his uh, first writing so uh, what what, what uh, th- this book or, or rather uh, doing researching uh, around kentember uh helped me to do was to trace him mm. uh to say whereas the uh, winning the jamshor story competition in 1953 was his major breakthrough in fact uh, he had been simmering, mm. you know, um, some of his earliest works. I, when he was a student at Forte, uh, he, he they, they did as far back as 1945, for instance. Wow. And uh, in 1947, he won uh, one award uh, from uh, from Zonk magazine. Yeah, yeah, which was a very popular magazine at the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm. so now a drama magazine wants to transform. They want to attract. Uh, the, the the black uh, urban population. Mm. So amongst other things, they introduced uh, the short story competition in 1952. And then uh, Ken Temba is selected. And yeah, the moment he won that competition, he was teaching. Hmm. And then um, they immediately recruited him to join DRAM now as a journalist. So he left teaching. Um, and what I also revealed is that he was not so happy uh, in the classroom at the mm, same time. Yeah. Mm, mm. Talking about teaching, you dedicate this book to one of his students, um, Professor Mzamane, uh, and uh, the late Professor Mzamane. And uh, when we come back, we're going to take a brief spot break. But when we come back, I want us to talk about um, why you felt that important, and I guess the journey of putting this book together. Uh, and uh, I must say, I mean, even just some of the images themselves are a trip down memory lane. And we must also talk about the day he went in and got chucked out of the Seventh Day Adventist Church, the white version. And uh, we'll come back to that and many, many other parts of the story of the man, uh, yeah, the intellectual Tzotzi, Ken Temba. And we'll continue with that after this. Thought Leader Thursday. Thought Leader Thursday on Metro FM Talk. 20 minutes it is uh, before 9 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. It's our Thought Leader Thursday segment. And tonight I'm joined by, uh, yeah, short story writer, novelist, playwright, literary critic, academic, uh, and uh, yeah, so much more. Sipiwa Mahala is my thought leader on this Thursday. And we talk about his latest offering here drawn from his uh, doctoral studies on Kantemba. It's titled Kantemba, The Making and Breaking of the Intellectual Tzotzi, a Biography. And uh, and uh, if indeed you find some time, go find the book. 
you know, for a nice weekend indoors. Uh, and uh, we'll say a bit more, of course, about uh, 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 much of uh, what uh, the book traverses. But um, I guess, but, but one of the things I'm, I'm quite interested in as, as you did this work is who you spoke to. Um, and I guess also, you know, combination of methods that allowed you not just only to get to the PhD, but to also make it in accessible form, something we can pick up on the shelves and read. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the I started, you know, doing uh, research, um, you know, a deliberate uh, mm. uh, uh, research in 2013, and um, at that, what triggered me really was uh, the passing of Louis Ngozi in in 2010. Mm. Uh, I had had you know conversations with the likes of uh, Louis Ngozi, Eskian uh, Pachele, and. You know, when they passed, only then did I realize that uh, they were the last of the that generation of yeah. writers from, from the, the 50s. 50s. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, these stories that they used to share um, are, are lost. So, and at the time, I used to work very closely with uh, Brawili Khosisile. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Poet who, laureate. Yeah, yeah. Who, who also knew um, um, Ken Temba personally. Mm. So I started recording them, and basically one interview would lead to the next. I spoke to the likes of Njabulon uh, Debele, mm. Nedin Godima, Ahmed Kathrada, uh, Mangosutu Butelezi. You know, so one person would, would mention um, uh, the, the, the Another surviving person. person. They, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I would go and, and, sure. and talk to them. And I'm glad I did that because half of the people that I, I interviewed back then are, are no longer with us. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, one of the people I spoke to was... Uh, uh, Professor Mbulelo Mzamani, mm, who was mm. my uh, vice chancellor and principal at Forte in the nineties, mm, mm. you know, and he had been, you know, insisting that I must do PhD, uh, and you know he started saying this uh, in two thousand three when I graduated my masters, and at that point I just wanted to graduate and have a, a, and find myself a job, mm. you know. So, but in twenty thirteen he went further to say actually do your, your, your PhD on Ken Temba. Mm. No one has done uh, a definitive study on wow. him. And indeed, I, you know, I took that advice, uh, applied, uh, admitted in January, let him know, and then unfortunately he passed away uh, mm. two or three weeks later. Wow, in 2013? In 2014. 14, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah so uh, that's part of the reason why mm. the, the book is, is dedicated to him. By the way, brilliant writer himself. Um, I mean, I came across some of his work at university, uh, The Children of Soweto. Yep. Fascinating, fascinating Uh, book. In fact, he he himself was a Ken Temba student. Mm. In Swaziland? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about uh, a Ken in the 50s. Mm. Um, He leaves Forte, as you say, he goes to teach. But he comes into a urban Johannesburg at the time which is in flux, certainly, for, for many uh, uh, people. And I see you also spoke to Juby Mayat, uh, who right. was uh, you know, uh, a journalist of renown in her own right. Um, but in many ways, I guess, their lives was not only in the newsroom, but very much what they poured out in the newsroom came from you know, anything from the knife fights to the drunken nights in the House of Truth and many other places. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ken Temba was, uh, for the largest part of his career at DRAM, mm. uh, uh, associate editor. Sure. And and um, he, he worked under three editors, uh, uh, Anthony Sampson, uh, Sylvester Stein, and uh, um, 
I forget the third one that actually fired him <laughs> <laughs> in 1959. Yeah. Um, but what used to happen is that every time one editor leaves, mm. while waiting for the other for the next editor, he would be the acting, acting editor, oh. you know, and that really really frustrated him. In fact, when the new editor comes, uh, he would have to teach them how to do the job, how to do their job, and uh, why, why would they never give him the job? Well, at, at the time, it was inconceivable that uh, a, a black man would be an editor of of, of such a of a, a national publication. Magazine. Yeah, no, well, sure. it was not just national. Mm. Um, I mean, continental. Uh, yeah, it, it was continental. Mm. I was talking to to Ngugi uh, Wationgo the other day, and he was telling me how uh, the likes of Ken Temba uh, really impacted in them in terms of uh, their. Yeah. Uh, literary yeah. appreciation yeah. because yeah. they read their stories. Drum had had offices in West Africa and mm. East Africa, you know. So Kentemba's work was read, uh, you know, uh, across the continent, and yet, you know, he he was that voice, that consistent voice throughout. Uh, editors coming in and out, but mm. Kentemba was there, mm. and that was part of his uh, frustrations in, in the newsroom. And also, um, the, the challenge with the black journalists at the time is that um, they, they wrote about the conditions, you know, um, uh, on the ground. Like, they lived experience of black people mm. and with whom they could connect with. So when I spoke to Luis Ngozi, he used to say, you know, because of what we're uh, exposed to, at the end of the day, the only thing we could think of was to get a drink and and uh, mm. erased all those images so that you know you can be able to go to bed. Sure. And unfortunately, that had a, a negative mm. impact on some of them. Yep. Well, a lot of them. I mean, in yeah. that generation, because um, you know, if you can take us to just this notion of the house of truth. Now, a lot of um, latter literary and you know uh, creative work has happened under that name. But even that was a particular, very particular space, not just of um, intellectual discussion, rumination, but um, uh, a lot of drink as well. Yeah, well, um, there are many ways you can look at the House of Truth. Um, uh, uh, part of it, um, to me, is is the continuation of uh, uh, Ken Temba's career as a teacher. Sure, um, sure. That Ken Temba, you know, um, he, he left teaching because he was not getting paid uh, a full salary as a teacher, mm. went into journalism. But he continued being a teacher in the newsroom. Uh, mm. That's where the likes of uh, Jubi Mayet, yes. um, you know, talk about how he mentored them. Um, that's when Dade Joe for instance, mm. says Ken Temba was, was a teacher in the newsroom. And in the Shibin, as a point of convergence. <laughs> and then, yeah, so now <laughs> there is the Shibin, even mm. outside the newsroom, um, uh, Ken Temba, you know, uh, he was p very passionate about debate mm. and obviously coupled with a few drinks, uh, you know. So he opened his house as the house of truth. Sure. So that's where they, they, they used to gather and have intellectual engagement. And that's where young guys like mm. uh, A.P. Dikanduli would sit and listen to, to these intellectuals mm. engaging and 
it gave him something to aspire to, to to the extent that when Peter Ganduli went to uh, uh, Swaziland, sure. he opened his own house of truth, mm. um, you know, along the same lines uh, wow. that Ken Temba's house of truth in Sofia Town was, sure, was sure, conducted. Sure, yeah. sure. Now, in one of the chapters here, the chapter on the people's intellectual, uh, you say many of the aspects of Ken Temba's standing as a public and organic intellectual converged in that place of liquor consumption, the Shabin. Often humble and always illicit, these were places that Temba and his friends would turn into a kind of public forum where drinking was coupled with debate and intellectual engagement. Later in the same passage, you say in Sophia Town in the 1950s, it was literally a place where a Tsotsi could engage in a conversation with a priest or a teacher. And I find that that particular experience um, has been a very... I don't know, man, a jarring one in the history of South Africa that all of those class barriers could be broken down. You could have a Dr. Kuma in a lavish house in Sophia Town alongside a slum, alongside, you know, that drinking hole, the House of Truth. Yeah, I think um, Obed Musi um, uh, puts it eloquently when he says, Ken Temba could talk to a professor in the morning uh, a beauty queen um, <laughs> at lunchtime and a, a gangster in the afternoon and have them laughing and eating out of his hand. All of them. All of them, you know. So he, he sure. was that person who, who straddled the social strata mm. in, in, in such an amazing way. And this is reflected in his writing because yeah. Ken Temba, um, uh, Ahmed Kathrada says that, that even though Ken Temba was known as this intellectual, he was not uh, detached from his community, mm. uh, he he was the kind of intellectual who who really shined the spotlight on the marginalized, mm. the, you know, and even the resented for that matter. Sure, um, sure. He has stories like the urchin, where it sort of becomes the mm. the the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. so he, he that was his his perspective he he liked looking at the underdog yeah uh the the, the marginalized in society and and uh yeah g- gave them the spotlight let's take a, a brief pause and uh, when we come back as we wrap up i want us to go to swaziland you started to touch i guess on his latter life as a teacher out in swaziland uh, and i also want us to talk about his legacy because in many ways i don't think it's enough for us to confine Kantemba just to a 50s intellectual without locating him, I guess, in the broader context from which he arises. I mean, even the title of that, The Urchin, speaks also of the mission-trained or Victorian-trained person who's able mm-hmm. to use those tools in very particular ways. So we'll come back to that with Sipio Mahala after this brief break. King and breaking of the intellectual Tsotsi, Kantemba, uh, a biography and uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating uh, individual to write about here. Uh, and uh, you know, Putsimpio, I want us to quickly just go to the circumstances that give rise to Ken Temba's exile. Um, and you spoke about the difficulties he had in the workplace. What do I go to a tram? Talk to us about what what happens thereafter. Yeah, well. Um, <clears throat> First, when you say it's based on a on a PhD thesis, uh, I hope people don't think it's is written in a, in a, in an academic jargon. Not at all. No, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, Ken Temba was fired um uh, from Dram in 1959, and then um he started you know doing uh, uh small jobs here and there. Uh, went back to teaching, and then um. 
1960, he was back working back in, in the newsroom, working for Golden City Pro, uh, mm. Post, uh, which was part of the uh, drum stable in some way. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, now the apartheid government was already sniffing. Mm. Um, you know, he was about to be to be banned. So when he left, he had not been banned yet, but he knew it was going to happen. Um, he he left and and went to teach in Switzerland. Uh, he studied at the Switzerland trade school. This is not very well known. Mm. Uh, before um, working at, at at Saint Joseph's later on, uh, but he continued there writing uh, for different newspapers. And um, by 1966, he was banned under the uh, Suppression of Communism Act. Uh, so what that meant is that he could not be referenced in South Africa. He could not be published in South Africa. And that really frustrated him as a writer. Mm, mm. And the Swaziland he arrives to. Uh, I mean, talk to us about that because, um, you know, many people might know the Eswatini we have now, but um, in many ways still very much the British protectorate um, that it was in an earlier phase. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it was a British. I mean, Ken Temba was one of the uh, last to leave South Africa. If you look at his generation of writers, mm. um, the likes of Eskian Pahlele living in 57, sure. uh, Bloch Modisane in 58, uh, Louis Ngos in 61. Mm. You know, so he really resisted. Uh, he didn't want to leave. Actually, uh, in the book, I, I use I use a quote there uh, where he actually is talking about uh, against leaving leaving home um because he he he, he did not encourage the, the 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 brain drain that was happening mm. um he, he says must we lose all our best people to other countries teachers lawyers doctors writers all through the end road to the north obviously south africa is left the poorer and one would have thought this country just can't afford the loss mm. So Kentemba really tried to resist exile. Sure. Uh, but when, you know, publications could not publish his work and when he could not write peacefully, uh, he had no choice but mm. to, to leave. Uh, and actually his main objective, as, as, as uh, his wife shared with me, um, and Temba, he said his main objective uh, leaving South Africa was to find space where he could write freely. Because effectively he was muted. Yeah, he he was yeah. muted and uh, harassed also uh, because he, mm. he was uh, arrested several times for, for different things. Two big questions I want to ask you, um, you know, before we wrap up. I think the one is <clears throat> a particular ethos that many of us can learn. Uh, I always say people, I'm, I'm not a journalist, I'm a talk show host, but there's something about that generation of journalists or people who sought out, you know, to write and reflect on the times that had a very strong investigative bent. Uh, if you think about the whole Bethel potato story, if you think about his own investigative piece on the Seventh-day Adventist Church and many other pieces as part of his own journalistic practice, what can journals now learn from that? Well, um, th this is a very difficult question to, to, to for, for me to answer because I'm not a journalist. Um, you know, those who are in the newsroom... Yeah, both of us are not journalists. So. <laughs> ...might say uh, <laughs> it's easy for you to say... Um, but uh, what I, I, I could speak to is uh, the resilience of Kentemba's work. Mm. Um, we 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 still referencing it today uh, because he took his craft seriously. Mm. Mm. Uh, he did not sit in the newsroom and make a phone call. 
uh, and ask how things are over there. Mm. Certainly, there was no social media or, or Google uh, to search for stories. He always went there. Uh, and he what he did, um, he would go to an outlandish place like uh, French Dale in mm. Northwest, mm. Uh, interview uh, uh, you know, uh, Gwenche there, um, and then bring his story. Skate Gwenche, Dangan Village. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, what happened, mm. Gwenche, was, uh, was banished. Yeah. Was banished yes. uh, oh. first uh, to Bushback Ridge and then to. So he's the one who told Gwenche's story. Mm. And, mm. you know, he told it in such a sensational way that I think uh, he, 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 he called it the concentration camp. And yeah, that story yeah, actually yeah. attracted world attention. Mm. So Ken Tempo was that kind of a person. And uh, over and above everything else, I think he was also concerned about nurturing young talent. Mm. That's why you have the likes of uh, Joel Tolle, Adjubi sure, um, sure. Mayet, and many other journalists, including Case Muzizi. Let me ask you mm. a very difficult question as we wrap up. I This is my hypothesis, and you must tell me what you think. I think we are very wasteful in not taking many of these stories and translating them into the popular culture in ways that other people across the world do, who take their stories, make theater productions, make orchestras, make films, make documentaries, make fictionalized accounts of. We saw Silverton Siege the other day, and it's good to start to see it happening, but um, I'd like to see more of it, and I don't see more of it. Why do you think that that's the case? Well, we have no one... Uh, uh, uh but ourselves to blame. I mean, uh, we we have a wealth of stories. Mm. Um, I think looking at Ken Temba's short stories alone, I mean, there's so much that can be done about them. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the example would be the suit, for instance. Mm. A single story, I mean, has has been so successful uh, in film, mm. uh, in uh, on stage as a musical. Mm. You know. So imagine how many other stories uh, that have been told that we could explore and, and, you know, because there's what we call cross-pollination of genres. Sure, uh, sure. You might not necessarily read it as a short story, but you might have encountered the suit on stage. Mm. And we can do that a lot. I mean, th th there's so much. Uh, uh, the, I mean, we have so many writers who produced work. Yeah. And there's so much we can do in terms of adaptation. And, and there's still and so the many world. stories yet to be uncovered. Absolutely. And I think that's the lesson. But Manukbulele, uh, the book is published by uh, Vitvatasran Press, my our alma mater. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, people can find it at the bookstores. Uh, yes, all it in book bookstores nationwide. Awesome stuff. Uh,